Thank you. Uh, it's nice to be here. I was uh, listening to Scott about Woodrow Wilson and thinking about George Bush. Uh, instead of becoming the president of Yale, uh, George Bush decided to manage a baseball team in Texas. Uh, the unlikely path to the presidency is uh, a theme that uh, is always there. I want to be um, as brief as possible and then spend the time on your questions uh, about Bush or the Iraq War. Uh, I've written three books about President Bush. It's uh, unusual to get three books out of one president who is still in office. I am working on Bush at War Part 4. My wife says if there's a Bush at War Part 5, she is going to shoot me. <laughs> uh, I think there will not be a Bush at War Part 5, but there is indeed a Bush at War Part 4. Uh, in these books and in the reporting on Bush and his wars, uh, there, the, the question that pulses in the background always is why. Why the Iraq War? And I think the other question that uh, is there always, uh, even uh, well into President Bush's uh, second term, is who is George W. Bush? And I just want to give kind of one snapshot, maybe two, of uh, some of the things I've seen. Uh, at the Washington Post, after the Iraq invasion, they gave me a year to try to establish what happened and why we went to war. It's a, it's a very unusual luxury in the newspaper business to have a year. So I was able to work through uh, people I knew, new people uh, in the White House, the CIA, here at the State Department, uh, the Pentagon, the military, and work up kind of the information chain trying to find out the key decision points and turning points uh, in the decision to go to war, looking at that 16-month uh, period before the invasion. I uh, took and reduced my initial findings uh, to a 21-page memo, uh, kind of in chronological order with some of the key questions. Uh, and what do you think I may, I ask you, I did with that memo? Somebody said, uh, uh, I published it. I did not. What would you do? Any ideas? I sent it to President Bush. And uh, colleagues of mine at the Washington Post said, you sent President Bush a 21-page memo? There's no evidence that he's ever read anything that long. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, he did read it. And Condi Rice, now the Secretary of State here, uh, she was the uh, National Security Advisor, uh, called me into the White House and said, uh, you have much of the detail, not all of it, about what happened, and it looks like you're going to write this book and publish a series in the Washington Post about this, uh, whether you talk to President Bush or not. And I said, of course. And she said, he will see you tomorrow. And I, over two afternoons for three and a half hours, interviewed him about what he was thinking and what he 
decided what his reaction was to Cheney, to Powell, and so forth. Now, in uh, that three and a half hours, uh, how many questions do you think I was able to ask him? Somebody said four. That would be if it was Bill Clinton. Clinton can give a one-hour answer to a question. Uh, in the case of Bush, uh, he, uh, I asked him 500 questions, according to the transcript. Uh, he gives very direct, uh, sometimes short answers. Uh, but uh, answers that are to the point. And at one point uh, in these uh, discussions, uh, he, not in response to a question, said something that's very important in understanding the why of the war. And the why of the war is complicated. And this why connects to what Scott was talking about, uh, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, just at one point, out of the blue, President Bush said, I believe we have a duty to free and liberate people. Is that in the Constitution or in American law, that we have a duty to free people? No, it's not. He jumps in his chair when he says this. And uh, if you think about it, the biggest word in the English language for a president is duty. Uh, I challenged him and said, don't you think lots of people are going to believe that, we're da you know, that it's dangerously paternalistic for us to feel we have a duty to free people? Uh, then he got quite excited and started slapping me around, not physically but verbally and said, uh, you don't get it, you don't understand. The people who uh, are freed really appreciate it. And in fact, those of us who led our countries to war have a zeal to liberate people. His word, zeal, second biggest word in the English language for a president. Uh, at the root of uh, this war is Bush's uh, conviction that he has this duty and uh, the feeling of zeal. Uh, whether you like the war or not, and certainly most people don't now, uh, you've got to understand that conviction. And uh, in my view, it accounts for the persistence in why we have uh, a war that has gone on uh, for four years with no real evidence uh, that it has achieved anything. In fact, all the evidence is that it has gotten worse uh, in Iraq. For Bush, he's convinced he's on the high road, uh, the high, that there is a high moral purpose and duty and zeal, if you will, behind this. And uh, if there are obstacles and setbacks, his feeling is, okay, uh, that uh, all important tasks uh, face obstacles and setbacks. Uh, the last book I did, State of Denial, uh, shows that after the invasion for the la for last four years, uh, quite simply put, um, that the secret reports have uh, repeatedly uh, gone to the president and others showing that the war has gotten worse. 
Uh, as these reports would come in, the president would say, we've turned the corner. Things are getting better. Much optimism, uh, totally contradicted by the record. And if uh, having tried to understand Bush, try to understand presidents going back to Nixon, and you ask yourself the question, what should we really worry about? What's the thing that's going to do American democracy in? Uh, it is secret government. Whoever said it got it right that um, democracies die in darkness and that those of us in the business of journalism uh, are in the business really of uh, creating a record uh, and breaking that secrecy because the secrecy often uh, contradicts what uh, is being said. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention, uh, years ago, I've done 14 books, the uh, head of Simon & Schuster, which has published them all, took me to dinner in New York City. And I'd finished uh, one of these books and he said, okay, what's your next book? And I said, uh, I want to do some reporting and thinking and uh, reading. Looked at me like I was nuts. Reporting, reading, thinking. Uh, we are in the marketing business. We are in the product delivery business. What's your damn next book going to be? <laughs> I resisted all through the dinner. He's a feisty man who was just grinding on me the whole time. Finally, by the dessert course, I said, I've decided on what my next book is going to be. He said, well, at last, what? I said, my next book will be on the publishing business in New York City. <laughs> he smiled and said, that's terrific. I have a great title for you. And uh, I said, I didn't think there were any great titles left. He said, there's one. Uh, your book on the publishing business in New York City will be called My Last Book. <laughs> he truly meant it and perhaps the only sincere thing he's ever said. Uh, let's spend a few minutes on questions. Sir. Um, to what extent do you think that, that zeal to liberate was at the time when the United States made the decision to go in to Iraq that was causative as opposed to WMDs or the threat of terrorism? Obviously the, the, um, the conviction uh, which turned out to be totally wrong, that there was weapons of mass destruction. Uh, also, they thought it was going to be easy. Uh, it's so, uh, people make decisions when somebody says it's easy, it's easy, much easier to make that decision than if somebody says it's hard. Before the Iraq invasion, uh, Rumsfeld polled his generals and top civilians uh, in secret again, of course, asking uh, how long do you think the war is going to last. Uh, Paul Wolfowitz, uh, then the Deputy uh, Defense Secretary, uh, that master of mathematics, said the war would last seven days. Uh, they really thought it was going to be easy, and as I think the a book I did, Plan of Attack, shows there was a momentum to war. Uh, and uh, in Bush's uh, belief, uh, but this, you dig into it, and I've spent a lot of time on this for him. It was, we're going to liberate people. We're going to do something big. Once told me, he said, I want to do big things. And uh, so I, for him personally, uh, 
I think that's the key factor. Obviously, you needed the others. Next. Good morning, sir. My name is Rania. I'm a graduate student at Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be here this morning. My question to you is, or before I ask the question, I guess it's part of human nature for all of us to see the world and act um, based on our experiences and, and lenses through which we, we sort of deal with other people. And my question to you is throughout your experiences of interviewing uh, leaders or people with great responsibilities, uh, for those leaders whom you perceive to have been successful, what characteristics or what do you think has allowed them to ground themselves in reality and not uh, and to sort of be able to experience uh, the things that they're doing and, and act in a way that's realistic and it's reflective of what's happening on the ground, as opposed to uh, perhaps living through, the, limiting themselves to the lens through which they, they typically um, respond or deal, interact with the world? You know, my answer to the question uh, is easier to describe the creation of the universe. Uh, that, is, that is a whopper. Uh, of a question. I think one of, uh, there, there's so, so many elements. Uh, one is you have to understand or try to figure out what the job is you're trying to do. My definition of what the president's job is, uh, is simple. Uh, to define the next stage of good for a majority of people in the country, then develop a plan and uh, execute it. To do that, you need to open yourself up to all kinds of information, all kinds of people. Presidents sometimes do that and sometimes don't. Last question. Um, Lev Sredoff from uh, New York. Um, you mentioned, and this is something that's come up in a number of uh, presidential debates, that this is the president's war. And while in the planning to the war and coming up to the war, it certainly was uh, the president's war because it hasn't really materialized into the chaos that we see today. And I was wondering, as someone who has, uh, you've looked and dealt with different parts of the administration, with different uh, administrations throughout American history, to what extent, where's that fine line where it is the president's war, but at the same time now it's our national effort to deal with it? Where is that line and, you know, how do we actually go back and say this is an individual's war versus our national effort? Well, it, uh, a lot of people don't uh, want to deal with this, but it's a legal war in the sense that the president has this authority under the Constitution. In the case of the Iraq War, uh, Congress passed resolutions three to one giving him a blank check uh, in Iraq. Uh, but your, your question poses an interesting issue. We are, uh, reality is uh, the war has been outsourced to the military. And we are not a nation uh, at war. And if you ask a thousand people, as I do sometimes, how many people have made a personal sacrifice because of the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, or the war on terror, three hands might go up. Uh, the country is not mobilized. Uh, people who voted to, in Congress to give that president that blank check um, uh, obviously want to distance themselves. Uh, from that decision and that role. So part of the dilemma is uh, where is the, just for, as a starting point, the political consensus for this war doesn't exist. And uh, that is, uh, you know, that's what uh, Bush at War Part 4 uh, is going to be about. Thank you.